Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you might be. I am Nicole BC, and you, you have know everything. everything. The, uh, the official countdown begins. It's always like, <gasps> hold your breath. Yeah, countdown. countdowns do have that effect, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, well, thank you, Noah. Thank you so much for being here. It's really exciting to have you on my podcast. We just did this, but me on yours, which was yeah. super fun. I encourage everybody listening to go and check that out, the show. I didn't actually introduce you. So Noah Lampert is the host of Synchronicity, a podcast that I have been a huge fan of. He is also someone that is, I would say, invested purposefully so, in the cryptocurrencies and kind of Web3 sphere, which is another place that we have worked with each other. He is a community builder and community host. And I encourage everybody listening, if you're not on the Discord, to get find him on Patreon, get access to the Discord. There's so many fun things happening in that different community, whatever it is that you're kind of interested in, whether it's like esoterica or writing or spiritual development the imaginal imagination techniques specifically, but then also like we go deep into the crypto verse as well. So uh, I have learned so much from you and I'm so grateful for your work and for you putting it out in the world. And yeah, I mean, I kind of like to start every, give everybody the opportunity to talk about their origin story and I give them a fork in the road. You can either tell us like how you got to this very specific moment on this specific podcast or just a more general overview. Like how did Noah get here? It's a, a super broad, <laughs> intense question. Uh, I will, I will Welcome. answer it. Welcome yeah. to me. <laughs> super <laughs> I'll broad, it. very intense. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Uh, I I will get into as succinct and you know impactful description of that as possible. Um, for me, I would say like my path towards like just a broader awareness of just like outside of my limited you know, perspective as like a kid and a child was when I started doing psychedelics at a relatively early age. I was 15, I think, when I did acid for the first time. And it was very intentional. It wasn't just like a willy-nilly decision off the cuff. I was constantly reading books about psychedelics and as much as I could. Nevertheless, I, I pursued this stuff. I was really interested in it because I'd heard these amazing descriptions of, you know, your consciousness being altered. And I think on some level, I've just always been interested in the nature of mind, how we think, how we process things, the relationships between our inner and outer experiences or realities. So I jumped on the psychedelic train, had, you know, a solid eight-year run from like 15 to 23 or so where like I really went pretty deep. Not everyday usage, not even every week at times, but at different periods of my life, you know, heavier use of psychedelics. Um, and I'm, I try to point out that it's an interesting time to be doing psychedelics in your life because your identity is like trying to form itself at like 15. Like you're, you're really trying to like figure out like what's my place in the world? Like what do I want to do? And all this is like a lot of stuff is going on. And psychedelics tend to have this effect of kind of stripping away those senses of identity and those kind of not just ego stuff, but just like layers of the onion, whatever you want to call it. I, went, I graduated from a music school with a music degree. So there's very little real world application for that. Um, I didn't want to be a music teacher, you know, wasn't, didn't go to school for that, just was interested in music. And I was like, all right, music, I guess. So I graduated from, from Berkeley and Boston with a degree in music synthesis, which is about as, you know, useful as you think it would be in the professional world. And this was like right 2008, I think I eventually graduated. And I had, I took a year off from school in between there. Cause I had taken at one point a lot of psychedelics and I kind of had a break from reality. I mean, I take, I say that term very loosely because I think we, Reality is a very nebulous, ill-defined term, and most people's versions of it are wildly different. But this was a pretty drastic break. Like I was going in, like I was really swimming in the mystic waters and, you know, borderline drowning at times. Um, I was having a great time. But at that point, I was also diagnosed bipolar disorder and given a prescription to lithium, which I took mm. for three, four years, went to my psychiatrist, went to my family, and was like, I don't think I'm bipolar. Like I I think, I don't think I need this. Can we like get off it and see if I'm okay? So they agreed, did it, you know, responsibly, didn't just flush my pills down the toilet and be like, ah, oh, the power of my mind is superior. But I believed that. I felt like that. And, you know, I have not had lithium ever since. I haven't had any manic, major manic. I think the same 
sways and emotions that many people experience just living life uh, is about what I go through. I do have a tendency to be very intense in terms of my experiences. I get very high highs. I don't get the lowest of lows, but like, you know, I feel things deeply. So when they're really good, I feel it is really awesome. When they're not great, I feel that as not so great. So, but it really shaped my opinion and thoughts on mental illness as well. So I, I pepper that in every so often on the podcast and when I'm speaking to people, just because I do think it's important to at least look at the paradigms of mental illness and how it's defined. And then after school, I found myself working with uh, a lot of nonprofits in the spiritual world. So I, was, I got a job with uh, Ram Dass's Love Serve uh, Remember Foundation and, you know, set up kind of their entire digital media landscape and just kind of overhaul just how they were doing things. I think they were still getting people to send them like physical donations to help support Ramdas at that point because they, they didn't have a ton of revenue streams and the ones they did have were uh, kind of drying up. Like they weren't really like uh, being able to sustain them for that much longer. So I went in there, did a lot of fun stuff, kind of just like uh, social media, like people that weren't even advertising on Facebook yet. There was no Facebook ads. I just recognized it as a potential source for people to kind of congregate and get the message out and just share what Ramdas was all about and his guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Um, and I had a great, like, must have been three, four, five-year run with them. And so through that, though, I started my own podcast, Synchronicity. And it really wasn't like a very, uh, like, honorable or even like, it was somewhat like purpose-driven, but I had been around these podcasts for so long and hosted a few things here and there. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do this. So let me start my own podcast. Primarily started out the first four or five years just interviewing. I think every episode was a guest, which was amazing. Like it's actually really a powerful exercise when you connect with a new person every week for, you know, 200 something odd weeks. And then around 2019, I discovered Neville Goddard. I don't, I mean, it sounds so simplistic when I say it like that, but I, I really believe this was like a multi decade process for kind of having mm-hmm. something click. Like, yes, it clicks in an instant, but sometimes the preparation and kind of where you are, the auspiciousness of the moment influences how quickly something like actually connects and you really get something. And he was talking about some wild stuff. Your imagination is God. That's the only God. There is no other God. Jesus Christ wasn't a person. It's your imagination. And I'm like, huh, like something about what this guy is saying really is making sense to me. Like this is lining up with a lot of my experience. And it's very weird. It's very kind of like, I I don't know what exactly where this came from. But I downloaded all these talks, started listening to them, and then diligently started to employ them. And before that, I don't think I had really done many solo casts, maybe one here and there for every like 100. Maybe I jumped on the mic alone and just started talking. But after listening to these and kind of really putting them into action and seeing the efficacy of them, I was like, oh my God, like I, this is like clearly something I should be talking about. Like if this worked for me so well, so quickly, I would love to be able to communicate this to people who maybe were in similar situations or felt in situations that were, you know, very difficult to get out of or they're stuck or things just haven't been working or hasn't gone their way or whatever it is, just like kind of, you know, suffering and it's in no small part. And so I started talking about it. Some friends, you know, connected with me via podcasts, um, our little soul group there. I don't know how we would describe ourselves. We kind of know who we are. And um, we it just started kind of like a very intense kind of opening period of in my life. I, I ended up getting divorced. I had two kids with my previous wife, got remarried, have a now two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old with my current wife, started traveling a lot, um, hadn't really done that in the past, and just kind of like had a classic life shift moment um, when I started kind of discovering this stuff. And I really do attribute it to just kind of like the belief that this stuff works. And I realized that's such a huge component, um, one that's not always easily changeable, but your belief Mm. structures really do determine what outside reality is. And I could see the clear relationship between every period of my life, how I was thinking, how I was feeling, and what I was getting. When I felt frustrated, when I felt like I couldn't do it, when I felt like things weren't working out, when I felt like money was super tight, 
those things were reflected back to me. The question was, is like, okay, I know that now, but let's say I still feel like that. Like, what do I do then? Because I'm aware that this is creating a reality that I'm not loving, but I just can't stop thinking those thoughts. I just can't, you know, let myself, you know, think things are going to work out or things are good or I am abundant. And that's when I started kind of realizing that like, that's something that a lot of people including myself at times, which I can tend to forget when things are going really well, do struggle with that. And that kind of currently shapes what I feel like I'm talking about on the podcast, what the Patreon's about, what all these communities and groups that I've kind of set up and, and work within. And so a lot of my experiences, um, even with crypto, as you mentioned, where like I made a lot of money in 2017, I spit back a lot of it. I made a lot of more, like more money in 2021, 2022, 23. I spit back a lot of it. I spent way more of it that time, but I, I learned lessons. And one of the lessons I learned is I had attributed so much of my malaise or kind of frustration to money issues. It's like, oh, I don't have enough money, so I can't do the things I want. If I had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about these things, and then I'd be able to do this. And it was like just completely blown apart as an excuse for me because I had more money than I knew what to do with, literally. Like I, I was giving away a ton. I was like buying, you know, I ran out of stuff to buy. I was just like, I, 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 don't, have, I don't have a use for this anymore. And what tends to happen when you get to that point is you don't hang on to it because you're not using it. You don't have a reason. You don't have a purpose for it. Um, and it will inevitably kind of vanish from your, it will slip through your fingers. But it was important for me to kind of, I, I personally believe, go through, like people can be like, well, don't you wish you sold more and cashed out more? You'd be in such a better position. I was like, no, I actually like, I mean, yeah, everyone would want some more money in their pocket, especially when things are kind of tight at times. But like that experience taught me way more about money, my own happiness, my sense of fulfillment, you know, what I'm able to do because I, I, I had it and I wasn't happier. I was actually more upset when I had the money, which was a real blower for me because I thought that was going to be the thing. Like a lot of people do. It's a very common thing to attribute peace, happiness, wellness to money, even though we have infinite examples of people with countless amounts of money who clearly do not seem happy and will even explicitly tell you it did not make them happy. We don't believe it, right? Some of us have to kind of go through that experience to kind of fully understand it. We have to play it out. We have to be hands-on. So I went through that and, you know, uh, what happens to me when I tend to shift into a lower vibrational you know, mode, which people refer to as depression or just like, you know, not having the energy to do stuff. I stopped doing the basic things that help me sustain and build that, right? Exercising, uh, doing the podcast, making music and, and being present, spending time with my family. Like those things all kind of fell by the wayside. And it just kind of like got me down into a deeper, deeper spiral, which at a certain point, just, I was like, mm -mm, like, this isn't like, this isn't doing it for me. Like this is like, I, I, I see what I'm doing here. I understand it's going to take some effort and work to kind of like shift my vibes, but like, I'm not, this isn't the rest of my life. Like I'm not going to stay in this position. Like if everything is impermanent, I know even that's true. So why don't I start to do something to get more aligned with what makes me excited, what I feel interested in. And so I kind of reinvested in myself at first and then started doing the podcast again. This is like, you know, six, six, eight months ago, not too long ago. So it kind of just like, again, I think I clearly needed to be humbled in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, not so much because of what my intentions were, but because I didn't see what like I, the value of this was for me even. Like I didn't understand like doing the thing being able to do something you're excited about is a privilege. It's something that I think everyone has access to, but it does require you kind of aligning yourself with what not only are you maybe talented in, but are able to sustain and have energy and passion. And then when those things connect, that's when I think kind of the magic happens. You know, I think the magic bullet, like the, the sort of other side of that coin is that we're going to arrive at an experience that feels final. And both of those are things that we we desire and achieve. And in the moment of achieving it, recognize yeah. that there's there's so much more room for activities. Yeah. And, you know, you described it as being humbled. And again, I think the flip side of that is being reminded. And totally. something I don't really talk about very often, and I don't think you've, you and I have had this conversation. So, 
just to give you a little background on me, when I was 14, and, and I'm, I'm sharing this because I think this has actually a lot to do with creative energy and what you talked about, this discipline and this consistency. So I'll, I'll get there, I promise. <laughs> but when I was 14, I was actually diagnosed with a terminal illness. Uh, I, I had a brain tumor. I thought I had brain cancer. It took the doctors about six months to figure that out. And in the meantime, I was tested for everything under the sun. And I, I became very aware of the fact these people have no fucking idea what they're doing. Yeah. And, and every authority figure that I depended on and believed in was like uh, just as lost as I was, essentially. And, you know, I kind of watched my parents deteriorate because there's probably nothing worse that you nothing. could call in than yeah. like a terminally ill child. Totally. And I, and I also just kind of watched my case get volleyed around. Because it was, uh, the diagnoses came around at a, at like MRIs, there was a lot of technology that hadn't, hadn't really been used in that capacity before. And so I decided that firstly, like everyone's an asshole, <laughs> has no idea what they're doing and that I'm going to be fine. And these people are just idiots. And, and it, it kind of, it like accelerated my like punk rock, fuck you, fuck this attitude. And also was the reason that I survived. And I think I had like an 8% like chance of survival. Wow, that's and incredible. it was, it was miraculous. Yeah. Um, and also it was like a hard, you know, people talk about like their awakening experience and like what, what mine was, was much, was very young. And, and I think that was actually around 2000. No, sorry. That was much earlier, like 1994. Um, and I got better immediately like ran away to Europe uh, and then ended up on the East coast. And that kind of was like the beginning of my psychedelic journey. So it was actually right around the same time as yours. I'm just a, a little bit older than you, Yeah. but I wasn't doing it consciously. Like I was doing it every day. Uh, I was doing all of the like chemicals, the plants, the jungles. Like there was, I had a friend of mine who was, um, shall we say commercially involved in the sure, psychedelic industry. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> And so was staying at my house and in exchange uh, was, you know, allowing me to sample their product on a daily basis, whether or not that was uh, a conscious choice or a hilarious joke, because that was like our warped sense of humor at the time. Right. And what I realized and definitely going oh, way too far, way too often was this, this conscious choice. And in any one of those sort of psychonaut experiences, like it could go very dark and I could bring it back. I could like trip the light fantastic and explore like other universes and dimensions. Or like I could just be like at a gig watching music and seeing the actual like tunes and vibrate, you know, anywho. And initially I thought maybe that was like a control thing that I was seeking or I wasn't letting myself kind of really fall into that abyss that I think so psycho nodding can like take you to. But Fast forward a little bit, and I had also been diagnosed with clinical depression, anxiety, all sorts of fun, you know, ADHD, yeah, like fun little same. labels yeah, like yeah. that. But um, because I was, I'm pretty anti medications and diagnoses for obvious reasons. Yeah, I never, I, I've had some pretty acute experiences where I was on antidepressants, but they also felt like being on drugs, just different kinds of drugs. And so, as you know, I used those to get me out of a particular pattern that had become really unhealthy. Fast forward probably about a decade, and I was in New Orleans running a nonprofit arts center, doing a whole bunch of different stuff. I had just like abandoned my career in life in Australia, and I was feeling like pretty pretty unstable in terms of who am I and what is my work and, and why am I here? And I was acutely depressed. And because I've worked for myself for so long, I was very able to hide my own kind of um, struggles in that regard. Like I would just tell people I was PMSing. I would yeah. just hide behind a computer, like in my own house. And I stumbled upon Louise Hay, who's yeah, one of the amazing. OGs. Yeah. She is phenomenal. And she had all of these affirmations. And I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't take showers. Like I was in like depression. Totally. And I remember listening. I was like ripping her stuff off the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. And uh and I remember listening to these affirmations and in one of her books, she had talked about, you know, you don't have to believe any of this, but just, just go through the motions. And one day it's going to resonate. And I remember, distinctly remember that day of waking up and being like, I am all right. I am grateful to be alive. Like yeah. I am here. And it was this moment of remembering, being reminded of, actually, we do get to choose. And it is a discipline. 
And that consistency does take inertia and momentum to get started. But with that approach, and the reason I wanted to bring this up is it hadn't occurred to me, I hadn't made that connection of like these affirmations. And what I was ultimately doing was imaginal techniques. Yeah, of course. Because it was, I would used to spend like from like 4 a.m. until 7 a.m. in bed, just like in the war in my head. And what those affirmations and then ultimately imaginings allowed me to do is like call in that feeling and that frequency that I wanted, which was just to like, on the flip side, I was living my dream life. Like I'm in New Orleans, which was a city I've been obsessed with since I'd visited the first time when I was 20 for a gig. Yeah, I'm running an arts center that's servicing like children and helping bring arts into children's lives. I'm working with this amazing foundation and I'm getting to put on these art festivals and like... I'm surrounded by creatives and people doing really powerful work. And I'm like, I can't get out of bed in the morning Hmm. and I can't be my whole self because I'm so ashamed of how like borderline I am right now. And just simply allowing myself to play with those imaginal techniques for, I mean, it was shocking how quickly I I think it was a matter of weeks. I think there was a hurricane in there. So I was literally like trapped in my house for like 10 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like three weeks and just that, that change in frequency and that, cons- that commitment to the consistent thought literally turned myself and then my whole life around. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, it's something that I just think part of the reason that framing it as kind of imaginal techniques or just defining your consciousness as God or everything. I mean, God is such a large charged term for so many people. Mm. I actually like it. I actually really like all of the biblical frameworks that Neville Goddard and a lot of the new thought people kind of gravitated to because I think it's a very easy thing to either dismiss or accept as literal. And I think both of those approaches are misguided. I don't believe in the historical accuracy of scripture. Any scripture that we read that we would consider holy or mystical, ranging from Eastern to Western, anything, I don't believe it's literal. It could be. I open the possibility of that existing. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I like... Um... The, the scripture and the, you know, the, the different teachings and even the different like gurus that are out there. You know, I think it's interesting that you worked with somebody that a lot of people, I think, collectively on a, on a mass level look up to and to some degree worship in the same sense that people would look to the Bible for, for a similar, um, level of support, shall we say. And ultimately, I think all we're doing is, is using words to try and describe energy. And like you said, we're all having our own experience, yet it's there is a universal experience to be observed and potentially to learn from. And I think something that I certainly participated in was a hardcore level of skepticism, you know, anti-theism, um, and and doubt. And what was fascinating about the the Louise Hay experience for me is that was kind of on the other side of multiple cycles into of like you know have faith which was a concept I hadn't really understood or practiced, if I'm being totally honest, and or like, you know, nothing matters <laughs> and, and everything is truly um, material and transient and that. And, and like trying, you know, I think people like you and I, what we're doing at least in, in this moment and more recently um, is, is sharing the tools and experiences and, and our ability to translate the, the energy into words with the hopes that that does resonate with someone. And like music for me, I originally found that when I was sick, cause I could listen to the, to these songs and hear these lyrics of people having a human experience. And I could relate to that sense of loss and that sense of fear and recognize yeah. that like, I don't know you. I, I, you know, we, we might not even be alive at the same time, but yet we're sharing this experience, which is another reason I love reading so much. Totally. And I think like, and where I'm trying to go with this is, as you mentioned, there's work that you do for money. There's work that you do really, I think, to just actually kind of support this collective experience that we're having. Um, and, and there is an exchange. And the way that we in this moment have kind of defined it is in terms of like the dollar value amount. But we also know that that's like completely make-believe. Yeah. yeah. 
and I mean, you're an artist, you're a creator, you're a teacher, um, you're also an investor. How do you kind of navigate that like dichotomy of <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I got to sell because I got to pay the bills, but also like this work was probably not ever intended to be bought and sold, yet here we are. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I I tend to look at how I, I got started doing um, – tarot and energy readings, because I think mm-hmm. I also was very skeptical. I hadn't get, received many readings in my life, and the few that I had um, were impactful, and they meant a lot to me, but it's not something I went and sought out. But I did kind of have the imaginal act to understand tarot and astrology. And up until that point, it had always kind of felt like looking at the outside in, playing around a little bit, but not really getting it. But when I really kind of like committed to understanding what is this about i really started to, it started to click i started to get that these are subtle energies that represent subconscious states of mind and energy and we can use them to gauge our own reactions the reactions of the person who is in front of us if they're getting a reading um how they fit together what different combinations can mean and kind of like what what your intuition is also telling you because i always have had a pretty strong sense of intuition, just something that guiding voice or force that kind of lets you know things like, how do you, how should I know that? And then it's, oh, wow, that's true. That's interesting. So when I first started out, I did all free readings, literally. I had a podcast downloaded by thousands of people and I was smart or stupid enough to say on air, like, I'm doing readings, they're free. If you want one, sign up here. They're totally free. Must have gotten like two, 300 people reaching out. And at that time, I was just writing them down. I was like pulling cards, writing down, and just kind of getting familiar. That scaled up within about a year to, you know, I charge a, a good amount for readings. Uh, I mean, in-person readings in LA, I was charging over $500 for, you know, 45 minutes for, and people were happily paying and, you know, ecstatic after these meetings. I mean, I think out of probably a thousand readings I've done at this point, maybe like two or three people like afterwards, we're like, you know, I just didn't hit home for me and I refund their money. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm not trying to, it's not, <laughs> it's not what I'm doing here. Um, but a very high percentage of people really feeling like there was something valuable there. And I can feel it too during the readings. Like, I know like, oh, this is, something is happening here. But that takes a while to get familiar with. Like I said, it's a year. You know, I started charging $5 for one of those readings, then $10, and then it kind of expanding them. If someone wanted to get on the phone, maybe like $40, $50. Like it took time to feel like I believed in what I was doing enough to charge people money for that time Mm. and energy. And I've made it a point. I do these free readings on TikTok almost every day. I do think it's important to hold on to that sense of like giving. And allowing, Mm -hmm. even if you charge a ton of money, you see lawyers do this a lot with pro bono work. It's the same kind of concept. Even if your your time is very valuable, you've put in the work, you really know what you're doing, offering it for free, I think is an important thing that allows you to express your gratitude that you are able to do this, that it helps you keep you honest so you don't just get caught up. Like the second, I've luckily never felt like this with readings, but the second I felt like I was just doing this for money, as like my primary drive, like that's it, like hang up, hang it up, like pump the brakes, don't do that for a while because that's just like, it's not the same thing. And then you trust that what you're putting out there will be received by the right people who get what you're doing and walk away happy. It's like I get a lot of, you know, retention and repeat people coming back to me for that reason because it is doing something for them. And it, 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 it does have the intention of being something that people can use for insight, clarity, guidance. Like those, those are the, the things that I provide in that type of energy work because I think those things are practical and they're useful. And sometimes mm. you just need to hear it from some stranger who has a podcast or who you don't know who's pulling cards somewhere else where you're not. Sometimes that's just what you need to hear. I've done that. I've done that with friends, with people I don't know. Like, and I find it to be very helpful when you kind of find the right energy to loosen up a situation that maybe you just didn't have the right perspective or the, the, the correct perspective. I don't even want to say correct, but just like the perspective that made it seem a little bit different for you. And so, you know, I, we've spoken about this, you know, personally and professionally, like I, I am very candid that I'm still figuring out the best application of how to do what I do in a way that feels authentic for me 
where, you know, it, it seems also sustainable and useful. Mm-hmm. I, I've recently kind of recognized that group work in particular um, definitely seems to be kind of the message that is is coming through for me. I think I'll always do some level of one-to-one, but I'm seeing the power of community. I've been around communities. I've built a lot of communities, supported a lot. Um over the years. And I see just kind of that energy being very helpful for a lot of people. And it's also more efficient, right? A community does is not reliant. I also have no desire to be someone's leader, someone's guru. Mm. Um, even the word teacher, I don't think is completely something I resonate with. I think, you know, like as close if we were going to get to a label, it's like some weird neo shamanism something something like it's uh, there's a a frequency and energy that i think i naturally can tap into that it can be useful for people for their own kind of insights or stuff that's going on i mean i am grateful every day that i can get on a microphone and record a bonus episode for the patrons record a podcast for 45 minutes for the public one by myself do a live stream that week like i am not unaware that that is not something everyone can do and it's not something a lot of people can people who can do it don't trust themselves enough to kind of just sit and talk coherently for that period of time every week um but i recognize that as like it's like a skill it's a talent that i i absolutely cherish and try to honor and support right now because it is, uh, it's, it's cool to me. Like it's cool. I surprise myself. People probably, I don't know what people think when I release an episode or something, but I genuinely, if, if I don't go back and like at least hear the resonant frequency of what's going on there, then I won't put it out. It doesn't happen that often. I'm lucky that, you know, I can kind of nail these in one offs, but I go back sometimes and not in a narcissistic way. We'll go back and listen to podcasts that I've recorded and be like, what? This seems like something I would care about. Like, what did I say here? And I listen, and I go, oh my, like, holy shit. Like, I'm I'm making really good points. Like, this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I guess like I should listen to this because I get I guess I can understand why people would like this and what they're getting out of it. So feel as long as I can tap into that frequency. And it does feel like a very natural state for me. It's not something I have to manufacture. It's not something where I have notes written down all the time or you know, there's all this stuff I have to have organized in order to do it. I literally just set the intention, take a few deep breaths, you know, maybe smoke a joint once in a while and then just hit record and just kind of flow and I've noticed that a lot of the stuff that I go through personally in my life seems to be stuff that other people are going through personally in their life so in one degree or another. So, and as long as I get the feedback that people are finding this valuable and appreciative of it, um, I will continue to do it. And as long as it feels right for me. I mean, I, I, that's the other thing. I, when I stopped recording for a couple of years, like not even a couple of years, a year and a half, I couldn't do it. I did not have mm. that frequency available for me to get on a mic and talk. And it just felt completely dishonest and inauthentic to get on there and do any kind of imitation of what that would be. Um, So people can trust when they're hearing me talk. Like, I believe in what I'm saying because I just don't, this isn't about making money. It's not about attracting the biggest following possible. It's about doing something that can truly be useful or helpful at the very least for someone who would come across whatever it is I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is the best answer to how to like, I, I completely figure out how to do something that I never really planned on doing. But all I can do is uh, what I en- enjoy and what excites me and, you know, trust that there will be a path towards, even if not direct revenue from that, something that puts me in the right sphere or plane. Sometimes that's crypto. Sometimes it's crypto. Sometimes, you know what, it's not time to monetize this aspect of my world or life or creativity and crypto tends to come in and just says okay we got it for a little bit you can take your foot off the gate you don't have to figure that out right now like relax you're doing what you're supposed to be Mm. doing the money will be there the abundance will be there so I'm open to those things but you know when that starts happening I, I got allured by the ease at times to make money and I was like oh I'll just do this like I don't need to do the other stuff because this is doing everything and that was you know a critical lesson for me to learn rather than you know putting putting the cart before the horse basically I was like definitely like oh the money is the thing 
that's what I've been trying to do anyway. And it's like, no, it's not. You dope. Like, what do you, what do you, why, what? That doesn't even make sense. So, um, yeah, still figuring it out. But I mean, I, with your help in no small part, I think that um, I'm, I'm doing a better job of understanding what people like about what I talk about and what I do. And, you know, just trying to stay true to that and do what feels right for me and then trust that it's going to work out in a way that it tends to. So, yeah. Well, you kind of answered one of my questions, which was like your creative process. And so I'm going to get back to that. One of the reasons I like, and you talk about this a lot, faith is more fun. And and to me, it's it's beyond faith. It's It's simply knowing. And honestly, like pulling cards, astrology, like I was so fixed and driven and strategic, especially like in, in, you know, I looked at artists allowing me to, to manage their business and their careers as literally them handing me their baby and being like, watch this. Like, it's a huge responsibility. And ultimately, like, that's not my child. Like what I'm going to try and do is facilitate this and steward this being and and the way that I think you're telling me you want like that like I'm gonna try and raise your kid like really well and um the you know I, I think I started with astrology Rob Bresney's uh <laughs> positive astrology like every good hippie does but and then because because it helped get me out of my own fucking like narrow-minded fixicity like strategic linear thinking and and pulling cards and tapping into these different like esoteric and occult teachings just really helped me understand there's a different way of looking at this. This yeah. is this is a multiple choice test. And um, I, having worked with art and really, you know, my ultimate job was to try and connect this thing that everybody thinks should be free to money so that people can sustain the creation process. And that's why like, I'm always curious about like, how do you kind of create this space for your creativity. And you, you already shared that with us. So then my question for you is like, how do you juggle? Cause I think you said something interesting in there, which was when I, I kind of felt like the momentum and the actual creative process. And I mean, you went fucking hard. Like yeah. it doesn't surprise me that like there's, you know, burnout for again, lack of a better way of describing yeah. it. But I think you, you release something like two episodes a week for like three or four years nonstop. Yeah, it was crazy. And then like this crypto thing, like you have, you, you, you have a lot of different outlets for your creativity. And, and I literally mean your ability to create. And so how do you, I, I relate this back to faith and to knowing because I think for someone who I consider myself to be multi-passionate with a bunch of different like pots cooking on the oven, but like not everything is going to be ready to serve at the same time. And sometimes some things need to simmer. And so I've certainly learned if something's demanding my attention in a particular moment, it's probably because it needs it. And you also talked about like being depressed, even though you're in alignment. Like I've spent the last few years caretaking a couple of different really important people in my life. Very fucking aware this is taking me away from income and business. But like, and and it was sad. It was fucking heartbreaking. And I could have looked at my experience and labeled it as depression or just simply recognized like situationally, I was like more probably in alignment than I think I've been in a really, really long time. And it helped me tune into that frequency of knowing as opposed to faith, as opposed to belief, which I think are kind of like gradients of that frequency. But it's from the outside looking in, it's chaotic. And you somehow seem to juggle. I mean, you've got three kids like that are all single digits, which I think is like in and of itself unfucking believable. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you've got, yeah, multiple ways of of connecting with and I won't say teaching. How about playing the game with different people? How do you kind of like keep all the balls in the air? I mean, honestly, like anyone with three kids and you're not doing anything else knows this. You don't always feel like you are. You've, you like anyone who's like, oh, I got it all together. Like, I mean, there are people who are probably making, you know, six figures, mid six figures, three kids. That's all they're doing. They're going to the office every day and they're probably questioning, mm. am I doing a good job? Like, am I spending enough time with my kids? Am I raising them the way? Am I around it? Like there's a, there's a whole set of things that come up because kids just bring up all of this stuff that you probably didn't know was there. It's one of their, their benefits and kind of scary things about them. You know, I, I, you get to see how you're doing with your kids based on how they're doing. So that's like your performance report. Wow. And I think that's, um, 
important to recognize. Like if your kids are in an environment or are feeling loved um, and supported, they will thrive. Um, it doesn't mean if they're not right now, it's even your fault. It just means that you do get that reflection back. So the kids, I, I mean, this is why like, you know, most of my recent problems have all been centered around like lack abundance, just straight up financial resources. And I really started to like recognize that I, it doesn't feel good when that's happening, but of all of the things that could be not going well or could be better, that's the best one. Like it, it sounds wrong when you're desperate. And I, I say this from a place of knowing this is not just me hy- hypothetically saying, oh, well, it must suck to not have money been there. That's the easiest problem to overcome. The health, your health is a huge one, as you know, and especially as a caretaker, seeing how it impacts people and the relationships around them is another one. That's like a big, super biggie. Um, And then like your family, you know, your kids. Career alignment for me is very important. I, I know how I feel when I wake up every day and feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to. So one of the ways I stay kind of all the balls juggled without them completely collapsing too much is I've developed like a routine for myself. Like I, this, Mm. this is when it really started to shift for me. This happened even just like as recent as like a month and a half, two months ago, I decided, you know, Tuesday, every Tuesday, um, I'm going to put out a podcast every Monday, which I haven't done today, but I will do it. I'm going to do a reading for the patrons every Thursday or every Wednesday. I'm going to do, um, a regular episode of the podcast, bonus on Tuesdays. And every Thursday or Friday, I'm going to do a live stream. And if I miss one of those, like this last week, I did not do a live stream. I had intentions to do it on Friday and Saturday. I had my kids, Thanksgiving's coming up. I accept it. I go, you know what? I'm doing a lot of stuff. I'm still putting out a ton of things. It's not the end of the world. And if it's something that I can get to, I will absolutely get to it. And that consistency and schedule keeps me kind of tight enough. It keeps things organized enough. It's the same thing with like my physical health. You know, sometimes I'm killing it. I'm exercising exactly how hard I should be for as many days as I should be for as long as I should be. And sometimes I'm like, damn, I'm barely getting enough steps to just like keep this at like an acceptable level for movement and activity. But I know that my benchmarks and consistency goals are there so I can at least see where I'm not adhering to them in the best possible way. So um, that helps a lot because at least you have a framework for like, you have, you, you understand where you are in relationship. Like this week, I already know it's a chaotic week. Like it's absolutely mm. insane. I can see it. I didn't get a live stream in starting last week. I'm late on my Monday thing. I'll do my Tuesday. I got a lot going on with my wife and my kid. My in-laws are in town, but it's not going to be like that forever. I know what I do on a regular basis. And if I have to take even a week off from all of those things, which is rare, um, I can usually find time for this stuff. I will if I have to, and I'll be candid about it. And I think people who expect things from me in the loosest sense of the word, like the Patreon community or podcast listeners, um, would understand that. It's not crazy. It's not like uh, there's some like, uh, you know, oh, wow, he's he's doing abandoning us or he said he was going to do this thing and he's not. I've seen what it looks like to abandon audiences. You have to really stay at it for a long period of time for people to actually get bothered. But yeah, I mean, it's just like having a framework and recognizing like where you're at, like what is actually going on. If I acted like this seven, 10 day period was just like any normal week, then I would burn out. I'd be burnt out by the end of Thanksgiving, right? I'd just be like, I would be useless for those next week or two or three because I would have just put in so much energy. So like, it's a holiday weekend. Shit happens. If I don't get on an episode of the podcast this week, so what? Who cares? It's free. People can listen to any of the other ones and there'll be another one next week. So I just like learn where it feels right for me to manage Mm -hmm. my own energy because I don't serve anyone. Mm -hmm. Anyone, if I can't just like, have the basic level energy to do stuff. So I've just learned, I mean, and I don't always do an elegant job of juggling the balls, but the important parts of my life are are, are pretty good, I got to say. So I, I guess I'm doing a decent enough job of managing those things. Um, and your own innate capacity, this is something people will find. You always have more. There's, it's an infinite allowance. And, and like, you think like, well, how could I possibly do more? I had a friend teach me this, uh, 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 you know, he was amazing. And he was just like, you can always do more. Like you think you're doing a lot now, but it's nothing. You'll look back in 10 years and be like, oh my God, I'm doing so much. I have so much more on my plate than I did. Not in a bad way, but like you can always do more. So just recognize you will, you have the capacity to grow and scale up if you want to, that that's something that's important to you. So 
everything feels really hard when you first start it. And this is where that consistency and that discipline, you know, those words might have a certain like frequency that feels dissonant to you. Then think about it like ritual and practice. Like we forget what it's like to kind of suck at something. And the flip side of that is we also take our superpowers for granted. And I think like your, your art, your ability to help people understand the, not just the imaginal techniques, but like the community building and the connection and your ability to, to, like you said, just like essentially like translate energy into words is your superpower. And when I think about like the arts and, and monetizing these skills or these products, as I like to call them, even though, again, that's another word that people like are like, ew, gross. But at the end of the day, we're selling something because like that's this exchange. And I think like when you are in a position to monetize your superpowers, that's pretty fucking cool. And that's like, you know, artists originally had patrons in the sense that they had somebody that was quite literally willing to be like, live in my house, eat my food and make some art <laughs> for me. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, you know, how they they were able to create these symphonies or these masterpieces. And, you know, now like, you know, fast forward capitalism, like 2000 years and here we are. And that's why I like, I loved the, the platform Patreon when it first began, because I can support people who are creating things that I want to see more of in this world. Right. And I don't, I don't tune into half of the, the Patreons that I am totally. a supporter of regularly, but it's like, that's my exchange is I'm like, I believe in you. I love the work that you're doing. I want more of that. Like it allows me to like walk the walk and to invest in like, what I literally want more of in my own experience. And um, I think it's so easy for every, like myself, everybody included to kind of take for granted that, that like our, our superpowers and what we really do. And like, of course people are going to support you and appreciate your work. Even if you don't dot, 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 this concept of expectation is evolving so rapidly now, because I think we're all starting to play with this idea. Like I'm having my own experience, even though like you and I are currently in relationship with each other, like in this very moment, what you're experiencing is, is going to be wildly different than mine. And we'll probably never truly be able to like fully like connect on, on what that, that difference or similarities is, are, will be, <laughs> have happened. <laughs> but, um, I, which is, uh, this is kind of a rough segue, so forgive me, everybody, but um, one of the reasons that I was fascinated by Noah, and also, I just wanted to tell you this as well, because I don't think I've said this part out loud, like, challenged by you, was when you, because I found you originally just due to some of your relationships with other people that I follow, but I've always been fascinated by cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and then Ethereum, um, and then decentralized finance, it just really resonated with my own like participatory economics theories and systems. And uh, you had your Patreon, you brought people into your Discord, and you were talking very actively about what you were getting into with in cryptocurrencies. And where I'm going with all of this is like this this idea that value slash money is representative of something. And I think that's a chosen belief, which is really easy to say when you've had lots of money, when you've had no money, when, you know, you, you, you start to really like play with this energy of money. Yeah. But something I watched you do was go like all in on a particular coin. And what felt like seconds later to me, it was probably like centuries for you. You were like on to the next one. And what I, I realized in that being like, well, I thought this was going to be the thing forever <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. was that, well, it is forever until it's not. And, and it's actually that knowing that allowed you, I think, to create the abundance and prosperity that you did was like you were all in until you weren't. And there was no attachment. Yeah. It was just like playing this fucking game. And uh, I, the reason I love cryptocurrency so much, and you and I collaborated on a project, which we're going to share in the show notes called Conscious Crypto is it was the best way for me to understand my own energy around money. And really, like, as someone who thought they had graduated from the money game there for a minute, I, I saw my greed and my FOMO through crypto, which was, like, the best lesson I've gotten in terms of investment ever. Like, where am I hoarding money and where am I attached to something just for the sake of more now again, faster, harder, longer? Like... Uh, it, it was fucking gross, but it took, it took crypto to actually be able to show me that because in, in 
it's such a noble cause when you're involved in the arts and helping artists and taking care of family and blah, blah, blah. In my own like physical experience, it was like this digital playground yeah. that really helped me like graduate to the next level. But um, I like would like to know, I guess from your perspective, how you kind of got into it and then how you've really, and from my perspective, like mastered this playful energy with it. Cause I mean, you, you were up multiple millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we connected a few weeks back. And since then, like the whole market's kind of turned around. And so yeah. I thank your imaginal techniques for that. But I'm, you yeah. know, I remember teasing you about your long on Bitcoin and being like, good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I mean, crypto I got into in 2013. I bought my first Bitcoin mm. uh, April 2013. It was like 100 something bucks, 130 mm-hmm. bucks for a Bitcoin. I had found out about it through something called the Silk Road, which was mm-hmm. a lot of people famously know as a dark web market. I never used it. I just heard about it. And I knew the way you had to pay for it was this thing called Bitcoin. And so I started looking into Bitcoin, under, started to understand the core tenets of what that blockchain technology actually provided, what its pros were, what its cons were. Um, and I was like, you know what? I could see a use for this in the world. It's an idea that seems to be worth something. And I also kind of recognize that the way that this will derive value is by other people believing that it derives value. Mm Because typically in investments, Mm -hmm. the narrative you're being pitched is, well, this has some real-world application. This has a product behind it. This has a service. This has a problem it's solving. Bitcoin had some of those things, but it wasn't a product. It was a completely digital, made-up, intangible thing. And that idea alone bothered a lot of people and continues to bother a lot of people. But it does have some advantages as a currency, as a store of value, potentially. And you know, since then, we've seen it explode in popularity. A lot of people have made a lot of money from Bitcoin. And I got into the altcoins, alternative cryptocurrencies in 2017, I just kind of saw how a lot of this was structured around people's belief, just like the dollar is, just like the euro is, just, just like everything. Say, yeah. I mean, it's it's not fundamentally different, except there are systems backed by militaries and energy and resources that provide the value for those things, seemingly. We're not on the gold standard. We don't have a silver standard. So I just kind of recognize that like things are worth what we believe they're worth, like on a very deep level. Um the embedded narratives and energies surrounding money are pretty warped for a lot of people. It feels like mm. something we never have enough of. It feels like we're being controlled by it. It feels like the economy is bad, so we can't do well. Like There's all these stories around it. And cryptocurrency kind of taught me that if that's what you believe and you get into cryptocurrency, you're probably going to be washed out really quickly. And there is no one who has been in lo- involved with cryptocurrency for a decade or anything close to that, who's not experienced massive loss. Massive Mm -hmm. loss. I mean, everyone has gone through that at one point or the other. If you learn and get better about steps you can take to avoid or mitigate some of those losses or deal with being all in on something and then completely being like, nope, that's not the thing. I'm into this thing now. I'm being okay with that as the game, as you said it. Um, It offers a very asymmetric bet, a very unique opportunity in the realm of investing. I've seen I think we've seen some of that consciousness kind of creep into stocks, especially with the democratization kind of of like, you know, things like Robinhood which are bad and mm. do, don't use those things even though they seem like you should. Um the GameStop stuff. So we've seen this consciousness kind of go from place to place in the investing sphere. And crypto mm. is about it it's the most honest in a lot of ways. It it's, which is ironic, it gets pitched as like the least trustable or the least secure or like terrorists are using it or drug dealers. And it's like, oh my God, they all use dollars. What are you talking about? Everyone yeah. settles in the dollar. Like no one gives a shit about yeah. a little bit of Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I've just learned to some extent how to navigate those waters. I've learned when to trade, when not to trade. I've learned that if I make a bunch of money, and I lose some of that money, it's not the end of the world. Um, If I make a mistake or feel like I made a mistake, I don't let it get to me. My ability to handle loss is higher than most people. I don't 
I do get emotionally affected by it and I do have regrets and I'm like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that or I wish I would have gotten into that, but it doesn't crush me. I thought that it would before I started getting into this stuff and it just doesn't because I do view there always being another opportunity. And when bull markets start in crypto, you can turn a few hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars into a lot, into substantial amounts. So a lot of it is just kind of waiting for the cycles to repeat and play over again and try to be caught, you know, get in a decent position so you can do well when that happens. Because it does happen. Like people are like, every time everyone is convinced cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is going to die, just teach yourself to buy a little bit and you'll be fine. You'll be totally, you don't even need an investing strategy. Just buy then. And then when everyone is convinced it's going to a million dollars and it can never go down, sell. That's literally like, that's how this stuff works because those are the saturation points for depression and bear markets and the tops for bull markets and euphoria. So you kind of teach yourself to do the opposite in a lot of ways and just to be loose with it. I mean, you, this is for having fun. When crypto stopped becoming fun for me, I should have sold. Like it's it's that simple. Mm. When I felt like I needed to maintain or grow or keep up with something and my days were spent staring at a computer screen, that's when I should have sold. And I guarantee you if that even um, approaches how I'm feeling on the whole, I'm smashing sell. I'll get back in later. It's all good. So, you know, I I t- I I look at it like a game. I look at it a game that we learn and we get more skilled at at playing. That's the goal. So like you can't take every loss as final and you can't take every win as you're a genius, but try to have fun with it and recognize it absolutely is a viable tool for making money. Anyone who says that it's not is just wrong. Like I've experienced it. I've seen other people experience it. I mean, the Discord has countless examples of people doing everything I just mentioned, making a lot, losing a lot, making a lot, keeping a lot. We had people in there who were on to Tau a year ago, year and a half ago. And it's like, yeah, it's magic beans. It's not really going to be worth anything. It's like the best performing crypto over the past year and a half. Um, it doesn't mean everything isn't magic beans. It doesn't mean that there is really some better inherent technical worth to these things. The chances of most of these cryptocurrencies being around in a few years, five years, 10 years, 20 years is infinitesimally small, the same amount proportionally, if not less than the Amazon still being around from the dot-com boom. But it's an emerging technology there is money flowing into it. You got big institutional investors coming in last cycle. It won't be their last cycle. Um, and that will pump money into the ecosystem. And if you're kind of chilling in something that is still around in a year or two, you'll probably do pretty well. Um, but have your intentions set around it beforehand so you don't get caught. Because if you do start making a lot of money, you just want to be prepared for what that actually is going to do as best you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I w- thought I was. And I was like, oh, I got two million. I wouldn't be nice to have five. Wouldn't it be great to have 10? If I had 50, uh, my kids would be good forever. Like, you know, it's just like these weird thoughts that's like, that's not what it's about. Like, do I care if my kids have money more than I care that they're doing something that they love to do and are in amazing relationships? That doesn't have anything to do with money, really. Like, that's like a very, it's not like you don't need massive amounts of wealth to experience that. So just try to be honest with yourself about where you are and then be willing to take risk. I mean, that's the other part of it. Be willing to take some level of risk. Risk does not mean putting your mortgage money on it. Does not mean taking your no, savings. Yeah. It does not mean it can going, literally yeah. mean just trying to learn how to do it. Like totally. that's like I like I was saying before, it it sucks to not know how to do something. And you went so deep into this, not to like blow sunshine up your skirt. Um, <laughs> but you know, you invited people to collaborate with you on your podcast. I was like, yo, I've been meaning to do a crypto course for ages because people, especially in the bull markets, ask me, you know, the same question from like 50 different people. But I don't, I'm, I don't, the, what you created in that course. And I hit you with a couple ideas and like hours later, it felt like you had this, the most phenomenal crypto course. And I've taken a bunch. Yeah. I've participated in it. I'm not just saying that because I literally participated in the creation <laughs> of this. But um, it, if you want to know how to get into it, if you want to understand how to play with the frequency of risk and the frequency of reward, if you want strategies, if you don't know how to make a strategy, like you cover all of that and it's so accessible. Like I think I watched, I mean, like obviously like editing it and getting it all <laughs> up there, but I was like, God damn, this is good. <laughs> Like, so I really encourage everybody to, to check out Conscious Crypto. Like I said, it'll be linked for sure. Um, and then also the Discord community, which like I am one of those Tao people that literally bought it, forgot about it. 
Yeah. I've done that like three times with that particular coin as well. Um, And that's like, it can be that, that kind of play. Like, so not going down the crypto rabbit hole. um, And just to kind of finish up with one, one more question here. When someone asks you like, what do you do? Or more importantly, like, what do you consider your work? I mean, I, at this point, I just consider it like doing the stuff I'm excited about. And some of that Mm. involves making money and some of it involves Mm -hmm. not really making money and it could make money and it could not. Um, That's all I know at this point in my life. I don't have a clearly identifiable career. I do a lot of different things that allow me to feel good about what I'm doing. And I'm open to a lot of other things too. Like I don't say, well, this is what I'm doing and it's going to, I'm going to do forever. I envy those people in a lot of ways who can be like, you know what? I wanted to be a doctor. I went to medical school. I became a doctor. I love being a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor until I retire. I'm like, wow, that sounds awesome. I've never been that person. And I do appreciate the flexibility that my life has provided me or I provided myself through my life to be interested in and do a lot of different things and learn about a lot of different stuff. And I just, you know, I think as long as I'm doing stuff that I'm genuinely excited about, that tends to put me in a position where I got enough, things are happening. Um, I'm not going to lie and say that I always believe that. Sometimes it feels like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm. I don't know what is going to happen. Like, how am I going to, what am I going to do? I just tend not to let myself stay in those states of consciousness for too long because they're not productive. Doesn't actually help. Doesn't get you more aligned with what it is. At best, it can maybe light a fire under your ass for a little bit. But if you keep doing it, you're just burning your ass. Like it's not, you're not doing anything. So, you know, I think most of the time, as long as I stay engaged with uh, what I care about, I am lucky enough to get feedback from the outside world and people who engage with it that validates that it's something cool. I mean, if no one was listening or watching or writing nice things, I I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do it. I don't want to say I had that much conviction in what I'm doing is the best thing or the most amazing thing that I would just keep doing if no one was tuning in. But I do take it as a validator that people are engaged and I do get to read all these nice comments and emails and messages on a daily basis. Like that is a huge boost to believing that this is something that is valuable and will pay off and Mm. is continuing to pay off. So um, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, Also, like, can you tell us just a little bit about music? I'm pretty sure there's some music projects going on as well and maybe an event and all sorts of those fun things. Yeah, we have the live event. I'm going to scope it out um, in a couple of weeks. It's in Brooklyn. It's a place called The Fifth House. Um, We'll do the event there probably. I'm thinking it's shaping up for either, like probably because of the holidays. I'm thinking like early January at this point. Um, It's going to be most likely donation suggested. So it won't cost money Mm -hmm. for people to get in. Um, I think we just want to do a cool thing where we kind of like get together, talk about, have just like have fun pretty much. Um, And then see if we can't replicate that and do it. Uh, a couple times, you know, or like every few months do it. That's going on. You can stay tuned for that. I got the Patreon, which I lovingly say I actually give a shit about now. I actually put stuff up there. I am responsible. I am a nice patron, Patreon host. In the past, I've not been. So that's why I make that distinction. There's the Discord that comes with that. We do these group imaginal actualization things. We had our first one kick off this month in November. That's been really fun. Um, got about 10, 9, 10 people in there. And uh, it's great. I think I'm going to run another one of those in January. This was kind of like the beta launch of it to see if it worked and was doing well. And I'm happy to say it seems to be going really well. People seem to be enjoying it. So am I. And yeah, the music stuff. I mean, I'm constantly putting out music these days. I try to make it as much as I can. Um, It is one of those balls that I have to kind of pay attention to that's in the air to actually juggle it correctly to make sure that I'm getting it out. But, you know, I love making music. It feels very satisfying to me on a like very deep level. So I try to engage with it as much as I can. Um, and just release as much as I can. I work with my friends on some music here and there too. They come up and we hang out. Shout out to Sean and Cass. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, there's just a lot of stuff. Not a lot of stuff. Like I'm trying to do everything I'm doing as best as I can do it now. I, I'm sure I'll be offering other things in the future, but I'm very aware of whether it feels right to me. Sometimes I like to just get things out like that because it feels so right and I know it. And sometimes I'm like, mm, 
nah, I don't think just yet. I think I'm going to get this to be a more gelled idea before I kind of put it out and test it. I know you know that from like suggesting a lot of awesome things to me and like, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, okay. And then like, I'll do a bunch of them and then I won't do the other ones. And it's not that I even think that they're not the right ideas. It's just like my bandwidth has a lot to do with that. But I think the rest of this year, it's going to be a lot of refining and just continuing to do what I've already created. And then next year, I'm going to be looking at a little more expansive kind of environment for how we can talk about this stuff. But yeah, the podcast is always there. Synchronicity. People can subscribe and stream wherever. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and they can find you on socials for different readings. Instagram, TikTok. Spontaneous readings Mm -hmm. on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, Noah, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to get to connect with you, especially knowing how many balls you do have in the air. (laughs) So thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, of course. Um, It's been really special and really awesome. And uh, I think, yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thanks, Nicole. 